Blog Talk Radio. Coming at you live. It is Buzzworthy Radio, where you can get the latest buzz on all your favorite shows and stars. Buzzworthy starts now. Hey, welcome to a new episode of Buzzworthy Radio here on lawtalkradio.com and on buzzworthyradio.net. I'm your host, Novell J. Lee. It is Wednesday. Happy Hump Day, everybody. April 27, 2011, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific Time here on your internet streaming computers. We got two great interviews coming at you tonight. First up, we chat with Damon L. Jacobs. You may not know him by face, but you definitely know him by name. He's the author of Absolutely Shouldless, as well as one of the main halves of We Love Soaps TV. Maybe you have seen his face, but I think his name is more recognizable than his face. I kind of imagine it would be. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a radioism that I'm saying, because they mainly recognize the name for me, but not the face to me. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, putting that stigma onto everybody else. But we, get to, we had a nice little uh, chat with him last week. We... Got to talk about the book, absolutely should this, as well as We Love Soaps TV, as well as the cancellations. The cancellation news is coming out, as well as the current state of daytime television, as well as some other things that definitely I never thought I would have ever gotten into on, on this show. But I, I got to talk about them for the very first time ever since high school in a public setting. So this is a new break for me. And I'm very happy that I have the chance to share that with you all. Our second interview of the night is with Jeff Pruitt. He stars in the new movie Fast Five, which stars Vin Diesel, as well as The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. He is Vin Diesel's stuntman in the movie. So we're going to talk to him about that, as well as some other things. As a little trivia for you guys, for those of you who don't know, Jeff Pruitt was also Daniel Goddard's stunt man or stunt double stunt double in the former show The Beastmaster so we got into that too so stay tuned for that that's following our Damon L. Jacobs interview which starts right now I, I don't want to start with We Love Stuff I want to get into that so I'm going to start okay. we'll start let's anywhere start with, you like let's start somewhere bring it, else bring Mr. Buzzworthy I'll bring it so Mr. Damon L. Jacobs I shouldn't say Mr. I should say Doctor, I guess. You are <laughs> well, book. except for the Let's fact that you know I don't believe in shoulds and all that stuff, and I'm not a doctor. <laughs> you are not a doctor. I am but not you a are. doctor. You're I'm a, a licensed though. psychotherapist in uh, New York and California. And it's still a doctor, though. No, it's not. Oh my it's god, not? No, it's very different. Mm-mm. No, I have a master's in psychology, and then um, three thousand specific supervised hours. Um, that was obtained through the state of California and then went through a state um, licensing exam process. It was extremely arduous. And um, that is my, and then they give you a license if you can survive all that. See, I just learned something new. I'm seriously thinking that a therapist is also a doctor, but I guess I'm completely wrong, folks. And I work in a pharmacy, and I, I'm just like, really? <laughs> no, I, I cannot I'm prescribe meds. dumbfounded. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry for everybody listening to this who's upset about their shows, because I cannot prescribe them medications. I don't do that. Um, but I can help them change their thoughts about the situation if they wanted that. Oh, so some people there do, we some go. Some people don't. But, there you go. See, I'm learning something new every day. I, I seriously thought you were a doc. I'm not going to forget this now. 
just two minutes, and I'm already dumbfounded. I, I think I'm going to have to go back and retrain myself. This is <laughs> this is awful. So, <laughs> so you you wrote the blog, Absolutely Shibless. Yeah. I, I want to know what made you decide to go ahead and write this book? Well, this book was kind of turning around in my head for 16 years. It actually came to me during my um, first year of college. Because um, I think like many people, once you kind of leave the nest and, and get into a different environment, I just kind of, I was really overwhelmed with a lot of different experiences and a lot of different emotions that I hadn't had before. Um and kind of memories of just really doubting myself and hating myself a lot growing up, thinking that I should be someone different, I should be more masculine, I should be straight, I should be like sports, I should be this, I should be that. Um, and all of those kind of flooded into me my first year of college and was really overwhelmed. What I started to realize was that the only thing that was hurting me at any time was not other people. It was my shoulds. It was what I was telling myself. Right. Um, and when I let go of those shoulds, or at least put them to the side, even just for like a few minutes, how much lighter, how much better I felt, how much easier life could be, um, how just how much lighter I would be walking when I didn't have shoulds about Damon L. Jacobs. And that was sort of the beginning of thinking, hmm, this seems to be something that really helps me. And as I talked about it with other people, they seemed to like it too. So yeah. I kind of got this little thing going in Santa Cruz of, like, people, and we kind of helped each other unlearn our shoulds and live much, much happier lives and get better grades because we weren't shoulding ourselves all the time. You know, as I was saying earlier before everybody started listening to this, you know, I wish we had somebody that was just, like, there to guide us on the way telling us you don't need to worry about what others perceive of you. It's how you need to perceive yourself. You you need to be happy with who you are and not let anybody convince you otherwise. I, I wish somebody told me that when I was in school because I honestly tried to fit in with the crowd. And I know that was one of your 40 life lessons that you had in there. Yeah. And I comp- that was the very first one. That was the very first one that really caught my attention was that one. That I was trying to conform to what everybody else was doing. And I, I tried to be just like them. Why? It's not It's not worth it, number one. And you're not happy. Right. You're not happy if you're doing that. You've got to be happy for who you are, not because of what everybody else is like and what you think you should be like. You need to be happy with who you are. I'm, I'm glad I know it now, better late than never, but... Well, and and the fact that we've even that you can learn this now will help you the rest of your life. And one of the reasons why I did write Absolutely Shouldless was to try to spare people the some of the time and torment that I went through um getting to the point of letting go of shoulds. That this is kind of really a shortcut and uh, a very easy way for someone of any age at any time in their life to question and reduce and eliminate the shoulds that keep them bound emotionally, mentally, intellectually, and spiritually bound. Well, that's what I believe shoulds do for the most part. And I would love for people to not have to do it the way I did it, which was, you know, took forever. Well, not so much forever because I'm only not turning forever. 40 and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how much now that when I go into work or whenever I'm out in public and somebody says the word should to me, I actually say the phrase, I don't believe in should. Wow. And what's their reaction? 
I am not kidding. I was like, I don't believe in shoulds. And they're like, really? I was like, no. Why should I believe in shoulds? Exactly. (laughs) I answered the question right in the question. Why should I believe in shoulds? (laughs) Think of that. Think of that question and repeat it back to yourself. Did I just answer in the question? Right. (laughs) I mean, because uh, the thing about should is that what's implicit in the word should is that there is some universal committee that's deciding on the values and the morals of everyone living in this world. And we live in such a diverse society, just New York, just the United States is such a diverse area. There's just anyone you ask what they think they should, how other people should act, everyone's going to have a different definition. And so the word should doesn't even really mean anything since it means something different to everybody. And there is no universal committee sitting around deciding what you and I should be doing and saying. It's really our responsibility to take that on for ourselves. Unfortunately, we do live in a culture that conditions us very early on to kind of give away that power and say, yeah, it is other people's responsibility. Um, I I do want to give away all my power to other people to decide what I'm going to do and how I'm going to live my life and what jobs I'm going to take and what relationships I'm going to engage in. Um, And these are often the people who do get to a certain point in their lives where they're pretty burnt out and miserable and depressed and it's, I never really thought of it in such a such a way till I met you, and then I got to know more about you, and then I, I realized from some of the bits that I've been reading, as well as what you've been putting out there, I was like, this is really speaking to my life, what I went through in school, how much I've been bullied in school, how much, what I could have done to better myself in school that I wish I knew at that point, but Looking at it now as an adult, 25 years old right now, and looking back at it, I'm not ashamed of what happened back then. I'm kind of glad it happened back then and now have the knowledge now to better myself as a human being as an adult because it's going to better myself growing up in the world and now being able to help others that possibly have went through the same thing that I've been going through that I can actually pass it on to them so they don't have to go through any anything of what I went through. I I can honestly tell you, I've been in school, I've been bullied because they thought that I was gay. They wanted to pretty much trash me, bombard me. I can't tell you how much I saw many messages that people have been putting about me in school, around school, people's houses, I'm not kidding, people's houses. I went to a party, and they even wrote it on, you know those things on the fridge? They put, like, the little mini boards, and you have, like, the washable markers. Yeah, yeah. And and they were, like, writing it all over the place on this. And these were apparently my quote-unquote friends that were doing this to me. And they were, like, and I, like, went there, and I saw it, and... You know, the person had the audacity to say that I didn't write that. And I was like, it doesn't matter who wrote it. It's still in your house. And she had the nerve to get mad at me because I was getting mad at her. I was just like, really? You condone it then. Right. Exactly. If you're enabling it, you're condoning it. And and I'm so sorry that happened. No one ever deserves to to be part of something like that. That's awful. Um, it is awful, and, and one of the reasons why I write the 40 Lessons of 40, which is currently on my blog at shouldlist.com, which, by the way, is S-H-O-U-L-D-L-E-S-S.com. 
um, is because I've, just like you, I've been the target of some pretty nasty stuff and um, have found some ways to adapt and actually grow and thrive in spite of being the target of negativity and hatred. Um, we can use these experiences as opportunities for growth and enrichment if we know how to do that. And in my 40 years, I've learned a few tools for doing that, and so I'm writing about those right now at 40 years of 40. I mean, 40 lessons of 40. 40 lessons of 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I was just, it was it was rough because, you know, then the other thing is that I'm a black male. Yeah. And the, the main reason why they said this about me is because I don't act like a black male as how they figured a black guy is supposed to act. I don't wear the baggy jeans. I dress as a prep. I speak proper. I like to look nice. I don't like to look like a hood, you know? And they pretty much did not perceive that in such a way where they felt that it was normal. Mm. And that was the other thing, and that's kind of where those shoulds come in because then it was like they don't see me as myself as an individual. They see me as an outsider. And that was me trying to should myself into acting like everybody else so I could fit in, but that just made things worse. If anything, I got more laughed at than being respected. Right. And that also was, that was also hurtful. I'm looking at what I like to live now with this bullying storyline with Shane, Austin Williams, tremendous job. Isn't it? I love this. I love what they're doing with it. I was I was skeptical about this at first. I'm going to admit I really was not into this when it was first announced. But watching it, I am completely humbly floored by the performance Austin's giving. And you know, I'm looking at that. And fortunate enough for me, I never got to the point where I wanted to get to the point where Shane. Got to, for those of you who don't uh, know what I'm talking about, it's the one like the storyline mm-hmm. that they're doing right now uh, on ABC Daytime. And I never got to the point where I felt that the best way to relieve the situation is to kill myself. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that nobody else has oh, gotten to that situation. Yeah. You have. Yeah. I, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I mean, that's why that story gets to me. And I, I'm just so... I'm so amazed by Austin Williams. Um, I've also, you know, I think as you have too, I've seen him grow off screen and just, you know, kind of talk to him and just see him evolve as a person as well as an actor has been a blessing these last few years. Um, Yeah, I relate to that. um, Yeah, very clearly to the point. And that's, that's a big part of, you know, when I was at that point, when I was at the brink of that point in my life, I was about 11 years old, um, there was... At the same time that it, I remember it logically and rationally making sense in my head at that time that suicide was the only viable option. And I can remember that, thinking that at that time. At the same time, another voice kind of spoke to me and said, if you have the power to end it, then you have the power to stay and fight. Try staying and fighting. And there was God, somebody, someone and spoke to me, that instinct spoke to me that said, stay, fight, make it better for others. And I have been determined to do that ever since. That is a big part, getting back to your earlier question, is why I wrote Absolutely Shouldless um, and why I do a lot of the work I do now because I don't want 
anyone <laughs> to go through that. I don't want anyone who's young to consider suicide as a viable option, and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. There's one good thing that's come out of this past year with all the media attention to, to suicide amongst youth is that I think, um, and One Life to Live is bringing to, to the forefront, is that parents and schools and teachers really need to know this is happening. It's not somewhere else. It's really happening. And the great thing about a show like One Life to Live is that in very slow, real time, they can show parents the signs and the signals of what to look for if you are concerned that your child is depressed and suicidal. The withdrawal, the hostility, the the problems in school, the secretive nature, these are all red flags that your kid is in trouble. Don't ignore it. And, you know, Rex and Gigi are, like, seeing now, it's like, oh, my God, we kind of ignored this, and we didn't really know what to look for, and now we know what to look for. That is the power of daytime drama to convey a story like this um, and save lives, literally. Absolutely. I look at it, and, of course, as you just mentioned with Rex and Gigi, there's many parents that don't even know that this is happening because, one, the kids are not telling them, and, two, if they do tell them, they're just in denial and they don't even want to handle it until it's too late. And did you have a, any kind of a support system when no. this was going on for you? None at all? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I wish I had. I didn't know. I didn't have it. I didn't know how to ask for it. Um, I didn't have the words. Remember, this was before Oprah. We didn't, you know, have as much dialogue about depression in the 70s that we do now. Um, There wasn't as much information. There was no Internet. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what the word depression meant. Um, My parents certainly didn't know. No one ever told them what depression an 11-year-old looks like. They didn't have any knowledge about that. So there wasn't support. Wow. Yeah, it sucked. Fortunately, um, we do have this information now. We do have Oprah. We do have the Internet. We do have all these resources and books, whether, you know, at least they're there. People may not read them, but at least there's so much more in our cultural dialogue about mental illness and depression and what the signs are in children. It's just so sad to think about. There's so many people out there that may not have the help, but yet there is help out there. They just don't know how to receive it or perceive it, right. and not knowing what to do about it. It's just, it's so horrible to think about. You you, you you know, for me, there were times where I was like, I could probably find help somewhere, and I know I have support from my parents. I, I, I had, it was rough, but I had it, uh, because I, I never knew how to go ahead and perceive it, but it was just to a point where I knew that I had to stop and think that... I'm letting these guys get to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm actually standing here and going, like, I'm letting them get to me. Right. They are one-upping me. They know that I'm upset. They know I can't handle it. They see me as weak. But then I stopped and realized, I'm like, why do they need to see me as being weak? Why do I need to conform to what they're doing to me? Why can I not stand up for myself? And I just took a step back, and then it was just like, wow. So then where do I go from here? And then that's when I told my parents, and then they kind of gave me some lifelong tremendous advice, just pretty much saying that no matter what anybody says about you, whether it's true or not true, just be yourself, and you don't have to please anybody else but yourself. You are your own person and you can live the life the way that you want to live it. And I did that. My senior year, 
I mean, of course, my senior year, in my head I'm going, like, I'm not going to see these people again. Of course. <laughs> you know, maybe that was, like, what gave me my backbone. But <laughs> I, I I went into a whole new regard and a new perspective and basically standing up for myself to a point where they may not like me my final year, which did not bother me because, again, I told the truth. Why should I lie to these people anymore with what goes on? You know, it, those people that bully... I, I did an interview with Kate Snow from on NBC. They had a segment about bullying that we're talking about it. And I asked her the question, what makes a bully a bully? And she said it's all about power, mm-hmm. having power over somebody else. Take that away from them, what do they have now? Nothing. And why would someone feel a need to have power over somebody else? Exactly. I mean, typically these are people, especially in children, who have been bullied and abused themselves. So it becomes this perpetuating cycle of abuse and shame and intimidation. They got it from their home or from somewhere. Then they dump it on somebody else. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, I mean, someone who is truly happy and feels content with their lives feels no need to hold power or try to hurt other people. And where we're seeing this, you know, in, in children and, and adults is just this perpetual need to, as you said, to, to to have power over somebody else, to kind of feed a deflated sense of yourself. But, it's you know, you don't really get power over somebody by treating somebody badly. You can just give you that illusion for a short period of time, and then you got to go do it again. Absolutely. There are even times where I think that if as any kind of situation happens to a point that, it is tragic, and it was the cause of a bully. They're not going to feel it. I, I, this is my opinion. I don't think they feel remorse. No. If they did, they wouldn't have done it to begin with. Right. But, well, they don't have empathy, or, or empathy is lacking, and that is really the key word. Um, it got a, a lot in the 60s. Empathy was a big word in public schools and sort of took a back seat. Kids, to, at least, the, to, I don't know, kids today, kids any day, are not being raised with empathy. Empathy meaning that you care enough about another living person or a living thing that you don't intentionally try to hurt them. You may end up hurting them accidentally, that we all do it, I've done it, but mm-hmm. you don't intentionally set out to hurt and harm and damage another human being or an animal. You just don't. When kids are raised with that, they're a lot less likely to, to perpetuate that. But that means they have to be treated that way. You know, right. if you kick and if you're always treating a child verbally and physically abusive, then you can't be surprised when they bring it to school. That's what we're seeing. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think then that just removing a bully from a classroom helps anybody. Because the problem is still there. The hatred's still there. And then that bully is now being extra punished because they've already been abused and now they're being denied an education. There has to be an easier way. I don't even know what the solution would be at point when I think about it. Like, what is the proper way to handle it? I mean, you know, the best they say the best they could do is get an adult. Is that that's not in my mind the greatest solution ever? Because if you just get an adult, what is, what is the adult going to do? Except suspend them. They, they get to come back. 
again, it, it's a focus on that. You know, well, there's a few different ideas I have. One is empathy building, and there are exercises and tools, and there's many experts that go around and work with children to build empathy so that they can have a better understanding and respect for life and not intentionally hurting life. Bring the parents into it because, again, if someone's going, someone's doing this at school, it means they're getting it at home. The parents mm-hmm. are accountable for that and responsible for that. Most children and teens can be taught empathy. What we see on, on One Life to Live with Jack Manning is really more the exception than the rule. Most kids are not what's called antisocial personality disorder, which means you truly can harm another person with no remorse whatsoever. Um, it does right. happen. There, it is out there. Um, serial killers, Charles Manson, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Those were kind of your typical antisocial personality disorder. I am right now on One Life. They seem to be portraying Jack Manning that way, um, which actually does make sense in the context of who his parents are. Right. But that's really more the exception than the rule. Most children can be taught how to learn and care, and it's not like they really need to be taught that because it's almost instinctual. They just need to be to unlearn the barriers which have made it which have gotten in the way of them expressing care and concern. I mean, you take most children and you see that they are quite capable of giving and receiving affection and being respectful and kind towards other human beings and animals. So, so it's helping them get back to that. Yeah. You know. My thing was when I was younger and it is still there to this day. It's now more not this. It's just now more out of habit, and I just enjoy watching it. Soaps were my escape. Mm-hmm. I've been watching it since five years old, and you know I've been watching it in its prime. I, I and being a five year old, you would not think you would understand what is going on, what is happening, and, <laughs> and I'm probably not being able to follow follow anything that has been happening on the screen. But I. Fortunately, was able to say the words, oh, yeah, holy, they're getting married, and he had a baby with Julie. <laughs> yep. I was able to say that. I was like, oh, and Holden got bugged, and he lost his memory. I was seven at the time, and I knew what was going on. I was like, yeah, Lauren and Sheila, they hate each other. She stole her baby. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm laughing because it's like I was five when Deidre Hall started on Days of Our Lives, and I said at that time I wanted to be a therapist. I, I didn't understand everything on the show, but I understood that you know Marlena was helping people, and she was really she seemed generally happy, and she had Don Craig as her husband, and like that was all good. So you know it was like I Deidre, you know, as a kid there were certain things about soaps that I was able to grasp. And here's the other thing about what I think soaps have the power to do or had the power to do was that sort of what's implicit but not really stated outright is that they have demonstrated the power of resilience year after year after year. Um, And this is really the tragedy of of them going away because what they show, someone like Erica Kane, Vicki Lord, these women go through kind of the worst things that anybody could ever go through in life, you know, kind of hopefully something that you and I will never have to go through, you know, the cancer and rape and illegitimate children and amnesia and everything you can think of. But they never get down and say, oh, poor me, I'm going to go commit suicide. They're like, no, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to fight and I'm going to get stronger and live to see another day and go on in my life. That's a very, very powerful message for children like you and I to, to watch as kids. And we may not have actually realized that we're getting that message, but we did. 
Um, when I was at that age where I was contemplating suicide, again, in a serious way, one of the thoughts that I had was about Julie Williams on Days of Our Lives, because played by Susan Hayes. This was a woman who I had watched go through every terrible thing that could possibly go through, and there was a storyline where she was shot, and her character was in a coma. And everyone kept saying, Julie's fighting so hard to come back. She's fighting so hard to stay alive. And I remember as a kid thinking, wow, she has gone through all these terrible, terrible things in her life, yet there's a part of her that's still fighting to stay here. Maybe I can do that too. Right. And it wasn't quite so tangible as the way I just described it to you. Again, it was more an instinct. But that was, that was the lesson that was being given to us through these fictional stories. And I think it was a powerful message. And, and um, yeah. This is why I really, I mean, I don't take soaps lightly. I, I, I don't take the loss of them lightly. Um, I think they really have provided not only uh, escapist entertainment, but they really have provided a, a mental health service. And I'm saying that fully as a human being and as a licensed psychotherapist. I agree with that. I mean, I honestly feel that when I was watching shows, especially in high school more so than before, um, when I was able to grasp a lot more of the situations, I looked at it, and I, I see how situations were being handled. Not necessarily blackmail, kidnapping, and misshootings and all that stuff like that. I, I'm just, I just leave by how there's characters that do stand up for themselves, and they don't take things lightly. They don't get on the ground and say, oh, my life sucks. I, I can't handle this anymore. I have to get out. I'm just looking at how they're handling and how they're standing up for themselves, and I'm looking, I'm going like, if they can do that, why can't I do that? So I, I I do give credit to soaps giving me a backbone to handle certain situations in my time. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think it helped. You know, it was it. I had that mindset just going like, huh, you can learn something from it, no matter what the. I don't know what to call him at the moment. I know that he remained nameless last night, but. <laughs> I I could learn a lot from soaps than I could from a Jersey Shore. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> I mean, there are things I learned from Jersey Shore, too. I learned that I'm ashamed of Jersey, I even know. though they're not from Jersey. That's what I learned. Uh, but <laughs> that's pretty much name. all I could, that's all I could learn from that show. But I tell you, scripted... Scripted dramas, I, I cannot picture TV without them. But not, here's the not other necessarily thing. just the daytime ones, the primetime ones as well. So. Well, but here's where I want to say about that, because scripted drama is not going away. Um, fictional continuing stories with never-ending um, plots have been with us as long as humans have had communication. Um, yes. They were with us in the 19th century. Charles Dickens wrote Tale of Two Cities, two, <laughs> Tale of Two Cities as a serialized drama that was printed in newspapers. Radio picked it up in the early 20th century. That art form will never, never, never leave us. It's just changing form. And uh, one of the things, Navelle, that I feel very excited about is what's happening now as far as the indie soaps, or rather the, the continuing stories that are being developed exclusively for the Internet. Um, there are shows now that are exploring creative, very inspiring and creative stories 
in ways that we haven't seen and probably would never see on network television. And I'm referring to Diary of a Single Mom, Anyone But Me, Anacostia, um, Venice, The Bay, Empire. Um, you know, these are just really, really well-done stories. And, you know, they're not exactly the same as the kind of stories you've seen on daytime television. But they are able to look at human behavior and explore human characteristics that we would never, never see right. at this point. We would never see under the executive interference of network television. Exactly. Because they're really character-based. They're really character-based and they're diverse. And we haven't seen character-based diversity storylines on network television for, like, decades, if ever. Oh, absolutely. And so, I'm ex- so at the same time, I'm, I'm horribly, horribly brokenhearted about, you know, One Life to Live and all my children and what's happening there um, and just what that says about this genre I love so much. But at the same time, because I'm just such this little optimist, um, I do see excitement and, and creativity that's happening on the Internet that um, is, I, I just can't wait to see what happens next with that. I honestly do feel that web soaps are the future, uh, web series are the future. I, I love what they're able to accomplish with them because they're able to do so much more with it because they have more freedom in what they want to tell. Yeah. And there's so many. I mean, I mentioned just a few. There's yeah. so many good ones. There's Out With Dad, there's Trailer Park, there's Cell, there's In Between Men, there's, I mean, Then We Got Help. There's just so many now that are out there. And when people go to WeLoveSoaps.net, they'll get to see the best of the best, not determined by me, but by the determined by the people who watch them and then vote for them every week on our weekly poll. Um, yeah. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are voting to let others know, hey, this show deserves your time. This show deserves your attention. And if you've got it, this show deserves your financial support. Because unlike daytime television, if we want to see this creativity and um, amazing plethora of storytelling continue on the Internet, we have to support it. We have to be proactive with that. We can't right. just be passive and sit back and watch the way we have done with the ABC shows. Um, we have to be a little more active in terms of the support we give, if not financially, than using Facebook or Twitter or using social media to promote the show and let your friends know, hey, this is something really going on you might like. Check it out. Right. I love what you guys have accomplished. I love what we love so was able to do. In just a short amount of time, you know, you just came with guns blazing with this website and as I said before, you guys honor soaps in such a way that no other site does. Hell, I don't even go above and beyond and say no magazines do. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thank you. It's the truth, though. I mean, just go, it's like anybody, just go to the site and just look at it, and then you can just honestly see they really care, and they know what they're talking about. It's not just like crazy type shit. That's just spouted all over all, all over your computer screen and talking about nothing, or it's coming out of their ass. It, it, it's really, really quality material that you have on your website about all soaps, not just what we have on daytime, but as well as web soaps and everything else. And I think it's great. I don't understand why people give We Love Soap slack. It doesn't deserve it. It's just good. I, I, I. I I don't need to go into 
who gives you flack. I don't need to say any of that. I'm just saying I know from what I observe that they give you flack. Yeah. And it's not, you know, contingent to what I say anyway, but this is my opinion. I know probably there's others that agree, but it's it's definitely a site that, one, I have bookmarked. It's worthy of being bookmarked. And I just I just look forward to whatever gets put on that website. You got the Tom Castillo interviews that are going up. And I never once ever heard him say so many things about his time at the soaps that he was at as much as I have until I watched those videos. You only have like two parts up now, right? Yeah. I, there's going to be five altogether. <laughs> um he's he's a, he's just such a brilliant and fun guy too. Um, well, thank you, Navelle. Thank you so much for that. You know, the the name is in our title. We love soaps. We truly, truly do. That doesn't mean we're not critical of them, because we truly are. <laughs> and, you know, that's fine. That You know, the result of really being passionate um, and really throwing yourself into something in this world means that there's going to be some people that are totally right there with you and some people that are going to put it down. Um, that is a lesson I've learned by... Four years in all parts of my life is like you know. Peop, some people love my book, some people hate it. Some people love my work, and we love soap. Some people hate it, and that's okay. I thank God we live in a free society where we can express that, and you know, everyone has free will to think what they want, say what they want. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. Um, but it, the, what we're coming from is a true love for the continuing story format and a true desire to celebrate that and really bring forward all the wonderful things and ways that all of our lives have been um, have been enhanced because of continuing stories. And that is what WeLoveSoaps.net is about, um, just celebrating that. And, and as you said, getting to know some of the, the writers and the actors and producers in ways that they may not have been... Um, the, get it, allowing them to tell their experience in a way they have never told before. Um, that's also one of our features and one of the things that I'm very proud to be part of. How did the concept of We Love Soaps come about? I know it's about celebrating soaps, but how did, how did you and Roger like sit down and say, like, I want to develop this site to celebrate soaps? Like, how, who, who put the first pay in, in the bubble? Well, Roger Newcomb is pure brilliance, and you know him, and I know him, and one of the things I've learned about Roger over the last few years is that he's a very forward thinker. He's smart enough to see often to sort of observe things that are happening and to be kind of a few steps ahead of the tide. So he started We Love Soaps in early 2007, and at that time it was kind of just a a news-gathering site. He would have links to things that were featured in the the mainstream soap magazines, but also, you know, if a small newspaper in the middle of Wisconsin did a story about Matt Ashford, he would pick up on that and publish that, too. So it was really a central place that everybody could come and see something related to soaps and really get informed as to what was happening. Um, He and I met and, and started, you know, we just really loved talking and gabbing about soaps and bonding over that. And it was really at the guiding light, the Save Guiding Light rally outside of CBS um, in early 2009 or mid 2009 that we just started brainstorming together about what We Love Soaps could look like. 
And he told me he really wanted to make it more about features and reviews and interviews and events and really make it more interactive and cover the sh- cover the, the genre more than it had been covered before in that way and asked me if I wanted to do that with him. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, that'd be great. Um, and that's really how it was born. I've, and Roger, again, had the foresight to see two years ago, more than two years ago, that indie soaps were going to be the wave of the future. And he started creating a niche for that, even before there were indie soaps. Pretty much back then, it was about Empire. Um, You know, Greg Turner and Brian Houston's wonderful, wonderful show, Empire. Um, That was kind of all we covered at the time. But again, we kind of knew that this was going to be a burgeoning area where a lot more was going to happen. Well, Roger knew that. I hoped it, but Roger saw that. That's how that all came about. (laughs) Roger's a smart man. He's definitely one that knows what he wants, knows what he wants to do, and he goes for it and gets it accomplished. I always say that about him, and I I give him mad props, because honestly, if it weren't for him, I would not even be here. Yeah. I really really do give him the service for that. I really do, because he was the one that put forth this idea into my head, and I actually was one that sat there and was like, no, I couldn't do this. <laughs> and I said it in just the same way I just said it to you just right now, in that slow, not convinced voice. Like, no, I don't think so. And he actually said to me, he's like, no, I see, I see big things happening with it. You go ahead and you have a show about soaps has so people on it. I'm sure people will find out about them and like you and tune in and all that stuff away. How do you come up with this off the top of your head? <laughs> he does. He's a brilliant thinker. He and he thinks outside the box and I think that's what true innovators do. Um and I think that's what we you and I saw on soaps when we were growing up were people that were kind of in positions of power who were innovating innovators, who thought ahead and was able to channel that creatively to tell stories that were satisfying. Um, yeah. We haven't seen that, I don't think, for most of the last 10 to 15 years, with a few exceptions here and there. Um, mm-hmm. Or, unfortunately, let me let me requalify that. There are some very, very talented and innovative thinkers in various positions of power on all three networks. Unfortunately, most of the time their efforts are short-circuited by the higher-ups at the executives ahead of them. Um, But, yes, Roger is brilliant. I would not be here. I would just be, you know, a shrink with a microphone. Um, But Roger really kind of took that vision and um, helped me to make that possible to get to talk to so many of the the people that I've admired and loved growing up and get to know them and get in their head and make a few of them cry. And, you know, that's just been a delight. That's what – I mean – I honestly, Roger, if you're listening, half to you. I, did I lose you? You're still here? I thought I heard a click. No, oh, yeah, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I yeah. heard a click. I was like, oh, my God, did I lose him? Oh, crap. No. <laughs> <laughs> good, you're still here. That's good. You have about ten more minutes with me. Okay. <laughs> um, so my question to you is I'm sure you've been noticing about how the fans have been doing the boycotts and the mm-hmm. uh, Hoover's pulling out of ABC with its ad money and all that stuff. And then they're also going to be doing the protesting across the country. 
in front of lo- their local ABC affiliates. I, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? What chance do we have? Okay, well, I, I have two positions on this. Do you want my activist position or my mental health position? Are you able to do both? I, I can. They're they're different, but they're not exclusive. They certainly don't contradict each other. Um, but they're okay. two kind of different approaches to to deal okay. with. Okay. Um, my activist approach is yeah, get out there, be loud, be proud, do whatever you got to do. I mean, really, shake them up. Don't you know? Fight the power. Don't let anyone get away with it. Do what you got to do. Get your voice heard. You know, write the sponsors. Because again, you know, Brian Franz doesn't care. I mean, you know, they don't care. But but the the sponsors who want you to buy their products do care. Um, okay. And support Hoover. I mean, I think what they did was brilliant because let's remember, advertising is about investing in viewer loyalty, in consumer loyalty. Hoover found a brilliant way to get millions of people loyal to them. And a year from now, are you going to remember any of the products you saw watching All My Children and One Life to Live? I'm probably not, because no. probably not. But years from now, I'm going to remember Hoover, and I'm going to remember what they did. And I am a lie. I tell you, the next time I buy a vacuum cleaner, it's going to be a Hoover. It's going to be a Hoover. So yeah, they have invested loyalty in me that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So they're brilliant. So that is the activist part of me. It's like, go, do it, fight the power, you know, speak it up. The mental health part of me sees a lot of the um, aggression, the, the anger, the suffering, um, the a lot of things that are going on which I don't think are beneficial or, or dignified for anybody. Um, I'm seeing it on the boards. I'm seeing it on social media. There's mm-hmm. ways to be active and still maintain integrity and respect for others. Nobody changes their mind and nobody changes their heart when they feel judged or condemned. That is just as true for me as it is for Brian Franz, as it is for Barack Obama, as it is for anybody. When you are at the the when you're getting finger waved right at you, Navelle, I think you and I and most people are just like, screw you, you know, go away. There's ways to engage people in dialogue and to change minds by being respectful and writing letters and kind of sharing the process that you shared with me today on the show about how much these shows meant to you and letting the sponsors and the execs know from a personal standpoint what the loss of these shows mean to you. Um, now, I'm not saying this is exclusive of going out there in the streets. I'm not saying that at all. Right, but I'm right. saying you can still go out, you can still protest, but you can do it from a place of peace and serenity within yourself, or you could do it from a place of feeling like a victim. None of us are victims. I don't buy that any single one of us are victims because shows went off the air. And I don't really think in light of the events in Japan and some of the things going on in the world that it's really in any way in any way respectful to say that your world is ending because shows are ending, because there's enough problems going on in the world to go around. Um, What I do say is that if you want, I mean, ultimately, you, I, all of us are 100% responsible for our experience in this world. If we want to assign Brian Franz that responsibility, you can do that, but that is your responsibility to give him that power, and you can choose otherwise. He doesn't have dominion over me. He doesn't have dominion over how I sleep at night. I'm very mm-hmm. sad about the loss of these shows, but I am in no way giving anyone at Disney the power to mess with my digestive tract or my sleep at night or my peace of mind. I won't be any good to anybody else if I did. Right. Boy, aren't you glad you asked? That was a mouthful. I'm glad I asked. I mean, but <laughs> it, it, 
That was a lot. <laughs> it gave me insight to what you feel about it because it's not far off from the truth. It's not on point. You know, there's, I mean, you know, I work with, I do a lot of work with outreach with HIV vaccine trials, and I've done a lot of volunteer work in my time and professional work assisting people with HIV, um, have access to medicines and food. And, you know, when you deal with that, it's like, come on, folks. It's really inconvenient and sad to lose your show, but it's just not life or death unless you make it that. And there are ways to express yourself, again, which are a lot more compassionate. I mean, it's like the bullies. You know, it's like don't, if you want bullying to stop, don't go around bullying somebody else, even Brian Franz. It won't help. I mean, it's not going to make you feel better. He's not going to listen. He's not going to listen no matter what. Right, exactly. That's the way it is. That's reality. I don't like it, but that's reality. I'm not going to have a heart attack over it. I'm not going to raise my blood pressure over it. It's not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I will do is continue to support the sponsors that support the shows and continue to support the indie soaps that continue to hire actors that have gotten out of work and the writers um, and do whatever I can to use my power on the Internet and financial power to support the sources that continue to employ the hundreds of people who lost their jobs. And I will do that from a place of dignity and quiet, not from a place of like having to advertise that. I don't have to go out in the streets to do that. I know I'm doing it. And I, I, the other thing, too, is that I want to also support the shows while we still have it before they do go off. Yeah. And then to support the four that are going to be left. Yes. Do that. I mean, again, really do that. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 like, I don't I mean, really know the, at this point how much. I mean, I'm serious, and I don't want to be a cloud of doom, and I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. I don't really know what... Like, if there's anything any of us can do anymore. You know, I'm a 40-year-old gay guy in Brooklyn. Nobody cares what shows I watch. I mean, at the network level, nobody cares. (laughs) It's very hard for your opinion to count because, you know, the whole Nielsen system is screwed up, and that's a whole other story. That's a whole other show. (laughs) We can be here for, like, hours talking about Nielsen and how we don't get it. Yeah. But, you know, again, like you said, though, we can watch them, we can discuss them, we can support them. That doesn't mean we have to praise them all the time. I think it's fair to be critical of them when they deserve it. But to to direct hatred against anyone who works on a show, any actor or writer or producer who is trying their very best to make a show the best it can be, even if you don't agree with them, that's the change that we can be. Yeah. I will go out and be honest. I am very critical when it comes to Y&R, mm-hmm. as many have seen. Mm-hmm. I'm very critical when it comes to that show. I've gone out on a limb and said how much the writing needs to improve on the show, how, you know, there have been instances where I put out there about um, I think Maria and Bella can do a whole lot better with the diverse mm-hmm. diversity on the show. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, the winner's plan has been forefront and center since 91. And then they suddenly went onto the back burner. I've always let my feelings out about that, mm-hmm. and, and and then some. But I still watch it because it's been a part of my mainstay. I've been with CBS Daytime since then. I don't want to stop watching, and I don't feel that I should stop watching. There's a should. <laughs> but and there's a should. Because well, there are no shoulds. You can but do what you I, want. You have that freedom. 
but it, it's just the idea is that I'm conforming this shit unto myself because it's just like, I know that if I, like, tune out, you know full well that it won't last long, and I know full well I'm going to miss watching it. I know I have to keep watching it because this is it's it's one of my shows that I have to keep in tune with. It's been a part of my life. I don't think I could ever get rid of it. And no matter how much I have on it, no matter how much I hate I hate, do you like that woman that's telling me how to count them? Uh, <laughs> she's telling me I only have 90 seconds left. Don't you love it? I don't care. I'll go on for another two minutes. But no matter how much I razz on the show with the writing, what actors are being shown and what actors are not being shown, still, they do a tremendous job with what they're given yeah. with these actors that have been a part of this show since it started. I mean, I can't, I can't not, I can't not, let's put it that way, I can't not stop watching. Right, right. I think we're about to get cut off, but again, Navelle, I want to thank you so much and just ask people um, if they're interested in learning better ways to deal with this, go to the, the 40 Lessons of 40, the 40 Lessons I've Learned in These Past 40 Years at shouldlist.com. Um, I think people will get something out of it if they check it out. And if nobody bought your book yet, they can buy, buy it. it on Amazon yeah. and buy it. Or they can buy, buy it from the blog, from the uh, website. There's links to it all over. Everywhere. Yeah. I'm sure. It's it's like posted on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. I'm leaving stuff out, but I know it's everywhere. Trust me. <laughs> exactly. Well, I love that you finally got here. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Navelle. It's been a pleasure. You're my last interview in my 30s. Hey, uh, there, there's something to... Celebrate, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Well, I, I don't know how how should I feel about that. Is that good or bad? That means momentous. See, there momentous. was a reason why we waited because you are you are going to be my last interview of the thirties. That's it. You know. There it is. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Thanks so much. Absolutely Shirtless at Amazon.com. You can find it at Shirtless.com. It's everywhere. 
You can follow him on Twitter at Damon L. Jacobs, as well as his counterpart at We Love Soaps TV, which is operated by both him and Roger Newcomb. At We Love Soaps TV, as well as visiting the website, welovesoap.net. They have up, I think, three parts of the Tom Castiello interview right now. I think it's three. I haven't checked out the third part yet, so I checked out the first two. But I believe there are right now just three parts up there. They haven't uploaded the last two yet. So make sure you check that interview out. But right now, we are about to air our interview that we did with Jeff Pruitt. He can be seen in the new movie, Fast Five, which airs this Friday in theaters. And for many of you that do not know this, I just found this out recently myself, that he was the stunt double for Daniel Goddard in The Beastmasters. So we got to talk to him about that as well. So here's our interview with Jeff Pruitt. Enjoy. Hey, how are you again? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me and talking to me on this uh, Good Friday. No problem. I I completely forgot it was Good Friday. I, I mean, until people started telling me and seeing it on TV as it is Good Friday. I, <laughs> I just, I honestly, I just thought it was Friday. Isn't that awful? <laughs> no, it's just a it's a busy lifestyle we lead. So so let 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 let's get into. Things about you. I understand you're going to be in the upcoming Fast Five movie as Vin Diesel's stunt double. Yeah, uh, I doubled Vin on the opening sequence. Um, they have an opening sequence on the Fast Five. Mm. Uh, yeah, we shot five, six weeks out in the Arizona desert chasing a train at 45 miles an hour. So 126 degree heat. So yeah, it was a good time. I have to be honest when I, I and you're not the first t- person I've ever spoken to, but every time I, I, I'm intrigued by stunt, stunt men and stunt women because I look at what they do and I honestly can right off the bat tell you I'd be scared out of my mind doing that. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's what it's about. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stunts that, you know, you do that you that are kind of safe and, you know, everything's going to turn out okay, but there's some that is like, uh, I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, but, you know, we'll do our best. But uh, the one on Fast Five, yeah, that was particularly, um, yeah, it's kind of a big stunt. You know, the noise of the engine, the train, it was kind of a weird feeling, you know, chasing a train on the back of a truck, holding onto a train. Right. Yeah, so it certainly uh, it lets you know that you're alive. <laughs> That's... Uh... <laughs> that's a that's a nice statement right there, uh, for sure. I mean, I don't know how to combat against that one. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm like right on the back of the train, and it's just like I have this euphoria of feeling alive right now, and I just survived this stunt. And now here's the next one. I, I I honestly cannot do that. I I I'm, and I'm the type of guy that says I'm into new challenges. I'm into this. I'm into that. But there's absolutely no way I can do what you do. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a certain type of person, I guess. You know, and really, you know, once you're on set doing stunts, I mean, you have to pretty much follow through, you know, with everything they give you. You know, you, you have a job to do, and, you know, if you're scared, I think it's all about controlling the fear. I'm, I mean, I've done a lot of extreme sports in my in my time, and I've always been scared. I've always had fear, but it's how you deal with it, you know. And I, I, I think, yeah. How 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 did you get trained to be in stuntman? Like, what kind of things 
do they have you do when you go ahead and and go and become a stuntman? That's kind of like I never found out about, and I kind of want to know like what what goes on when you do that stuff. Well, in in America, for instance, you don't have to uh, really do any training or qualifications. But back where I'm from, um, in Australia and uh, in Britain, you have to actually be qualified and pass these certain tests. So um, I had a lot of um, extreme sports background before I started in stunts, and I was also military trained, and I had a bunch of adventure training, things like whitewater rafting and kayaking instructor and lead climbing mountain instructor, that sort of thing. Uh, And that went towards my qualifications as a stunt person. And I trained for a year, actually. Uh, before I got my first job uh, and then had to get qualified by the stunt committee. So, uh, But I think it's it, it's part of your makeup, I, I think, if you're physically coordinated and, you know, you like adventure sports and extreme sports and mm-hmm. you know, it's a good way to make some money if you can if you can get in there. What was the hardest slash scariest stunt you ever had to pull off that you honestly did not think that you were going to be able to do? That you thought, oh, my God. God, there's no way I'm going to come back alive from this. <laughs> but you did. Um, stunts or just generally in life? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, there was an incident that happened generally in life, too? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God, I think I've had I think I've had about two or three near-death experiences. Wow, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I have to I have to start with the most extreme, I guess. I, I, I guess it's base jumping. I had a shot at that, and uh, that, that's just really full on. You know, you're really on the edge with that stuff. And uh, interestingly enough, the guy that taught me is now not here, and the guy who I sold my parachute is not here anymore either. Hmm. So I, I kind of got out at the right time, I, I guess. Um but, yeah, I had a stab at a lot of different sports. But as far as stunts go, I think the most dangerous thing I've ever done, I worked on a series called Beastmaster uh, on the Gold Coast. And I was yes, myself. yes. I had a, actually had a question with somebody about the Beastmaster, uh, about that. So, yeah, uh, you did Beastmaster. Yeah. yeah, I doubled the lead for two uh, two series, and I was uh, dressed in a loincloth for two years, like as a Tarzan. Uh, <laughs> but Oh, Daniel think... Goddard's going to appreciate that. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I can't wait to text him that and go like, oh, yeah, this, this, you're, you're, you're stunt double, just like said this tonight. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, the, I guess the, the scariest thing is working with animals because they're unpredictable. So, you know, in the first few months I had to work with a tiger called Sasha, and um, I think she was about 18 years old. And being up close with her was a very scary thing because you weren't quite sure what she was going to do. And there was a particular day where she was chasing me through the mm-hmm. forest, uh, and the trainer had her on a thin wire. And there's a very fine line between uh, things being a game for her and you becoming prey. You know what I'm saying? And uh, she she ankle tapped me, and I fell down and on the on the ground. And fortunately, the handler had a you know good control of her. But I'm pretty sure if he wasn't there, I'd be you know, in a bit of trouble. Yeah. It's the unpredictability of animals, I think, and, you know, which is the worst thing, and fire. Fire is the other thing that, you know, you're not quite sure how, you know, you can take a lot of precautions, but sometimes things don't go as planned. That's the, that was, I thought, the main thing that you would say would be the biggest challenge 
ever is prior because you don't know where that's going to go or what's going to happen with that once you're put into that position. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's those things where you're not quite sure. And, you know, there was another case when I had to jump onto a moving cart uh, for about 30 feet, and, you know, it was it was a horse-drawn carriage. And if if I if I was too early, I would have hit the driver. If I was too late, I'd hit the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's all a timing thing, and you're thinking, okay, is it time to go? Is it time to go? No, no, it's too no. And there's all this stuff going in your head. I guess right. it's like a golf swing, you know. The time by the time you do your backswing and hit the ball, all this you got to try to raise stuff out of your head and focus on what you're doing. There was. A, the question about the Beastmaster thing, they, uh, uh, Ruby Krause um, had tweeted me wanting to know in that show where I guess that there was the waterfall scene and that Dar had to jump off the waterfall. Did you do that? Yeah. Well, they, they CGI'd the, the actual... Um, oh, it was CGI. The yeah. Oh, I didn't spoil anything, did I? No. <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> but, but that was uh that uh that waterfall was pretty high though, but that was me with a chopper shot standing on the cliff. Uh and that was that yeah, that was actually quite weird too because that you know, a tiny wire attached to my right foot and you know, like stretched out through the water like twenty feet in case the water pushed me over the side. But I mean that waterfall was like four hundred feet high. So it was wow. a little strange. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's been a lot of moments where I thought, oh, okay, this is it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's but, like, wait uh, a minute, you're going to have me jump off a waterfall? What are you trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there was a few times on uh, Fast Five uh, where the guys were like, oh, okay, we don't know how this is going to turn out because the truck they had had some huge, I don't know, five, 600 cubic inch V8 in it, and it was, you know, it could do 65 miles an hour. You know, and we're we're rolling around on the back of this truck, going, well, if this rolls, where are we going to go? You know, so uh, but you you just do it, and um, like I said, yeah, we've got a job to do, and there's no backing out. Yeah, I'm, no. Yeah. <laughs> Not but, with uh, that, there isn't any. <laughs> no. But I I I have to say though with the base jumping thing it's one of the first things that I did ever back out of I I remember I was standing on the side of a cliff and I was all ready to go and I just I couldn't do it I was like okay this is it this is the end of my base jumping career right here that's very that is interesting that you said that because you know you with how you were talking about it earlier saying that you you got to go in and do it I never thought you would actually say that oh, I I can't do this I have to back away from this one because I think this would pretty much be it for me. Yeah, I, I think it's a feeling like you get with a lot of things that I've done, you get a feeling like it's going to be okay. You know, I'm really scared right now, but, you know, I'm going to do what I do. And But with this, I'm looking over the cliff and I'm going, this is not good. There's something that just doesn't feel right. And I think you have to uh, follow that intuition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I followed it. And um, I, you know, sometimes I still feel like I should have made that jump, but Maybe I shouldn't have, but I'm here, and the other yeah, two guys are not. Things on that one, I think you're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think it's you know it's it's important to know your limitations, and you know I I know my limitations. I know what I can and cannot do, um, and and that's important. Otherwise, that is a recipe for uh, accidents. 
Yeah. Now you're now you're working on another film, Hardcore Hearts. You're working on that one, or yeah, well, or? yeah, well, I do. Um, stunts is kind of the thing that I kind of fell into. Pardon the pun. Um, but I did start off in uh, in, in acting. But uh, you know, stunts is a it's equally as challenging as acting. So uh, you know, acting is a separate challenge, and then stunts is like your physical coordination and dealing with your whole psyche challenge. Um, but yeah, I've got a, about I don't know ten, eleven films that are in post production right now as an actor. So that's mainly my focus these days is to be taken seriously in that area. Oh, okay. You pretty much yeah. answered that question. Like, which which field would you most likely like to do the work in as a stuntman or as an actor? And you pretty much just answered that question because. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know as you get older too, um, you know the the body's taken a bit of a, a hit in the last few years. Uh, but acting's always been my passion, and uh, I've been fortunate since I've been here because uh, I had a stunt background. A lot of those stunt acting uh, stunt roles turned into dialogue and bigger roles and you know it's, it's been good that's good you know you've been hearing about that uh fast five there was uh, another thing that they had mentioned to me which was about thor and 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 cross yeah cross is there is anything that you can't do sir i mean honestly you do pretty much everything i i'd like to know uh is there anything i can't do Oh, wow, that's another separate discussion, isn't it? Um, <laughs> are we talking about the film industry here or what? Anything, man. I, I, mean, it <laughs> sounds, I mean, it just seriously sounds like, all right, you're, you're able to jump off a waterfall even for what CGI. You're able yeah. to handle animals even though it got to a point where it looked like it might eat you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You've you got to time it right to jump off, to jump onto another platform of a moving vehicle. Uh, I mean, seriously, like, what can you not do? What can I not do? Okay, well, this is giving a huge thing away right now. What can I not do? I couldn't go cave diving. Um, notice the dead air that just happened there, because that was me not believing he just said that to me. Uh, okay, explain. <laughs> cave, cave diving? Yeah. Uh, scuba. Uh, scuba diving in a cave, in, a, in an underground cave. That would, uh, yeah. You can't, you wouldn't, you can't do that? <laughs> I wouldn't. I've never tried it, and I, it doesn't really appeal to me. Um, the whole claustrophobic thing, like. Oh, all right, I gotcha. Yeah, it's the combination of claustrophobia. As long I, I was seriously going like he's not really scared of doing that, is he? After he does all the other stuff, come on. Hey, you, you know we've got to be honest about it. We've all got our stuff that we, you know, we, we that we don't want to do. This is true. This is yeah. true. So, I, uh, I I just couldn't believe that that was it. I was just like, wow, that's <laughs> no, it really did. Because I was seriously thinking like you you were going to go the route of saying like you can't sing or something. I was like, cave diving oh. was like. Not in my precipice of an answer. Oh, really? Nowhere close. I was just I like... Mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of strange what people are scared of. I had a girlfriend once who was scared of grasshoppers. You know? Yeah. I, I, I thought no. that was a little strange. Like every other bug, like spiders, cockroaches, but you put a grasshopper near her, she's freaked out. She freaks out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that either. I'm like, grasshoppers are the bugs I'm least scared of. And then it's just like... Uh, grasshopper, whatever. 
<laughs> like, I think that they're like the the tamest out of the bugs to you know to have around, and then there's like everyone else where it's just like either poisonous or stink bugs. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I think for me, I I, I pretty much I can't sing, so I would never attempt to. I would never try. Yeah. Uh, and the whole scared of the dark thing. <laughs> that yeah. that that's that's my weak spot. So so there it is. And then you learn a little bit more about me when I'm scared of and um, and that's the the whole scared of the dark thing. I, but I think that's the most common. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think we you know, we've all all got our little demons, things that we're scared of. So but, so now uh, that I you mean, said yeah, so now that you said you would never go cave diving would you actually, would you jump out of an airplane at 500,000 feet? 500,000 feet? Well, I have a few hundred skydives, but I, I don't know about 500,000 feet. That's a long way. You wouldn't do it? No. No? No. Really? 500,000 feet, you're up into the, you're up into space. Hmm. Are you being literal then, or? No, not literally with it, but I mean, like, way, way up there. You know, I don't really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's really way up there, like right up there in the clouds. Oh, like a halo jump, high altitude, yeah. low opening? Uh-huh. That's a, that's a specialized skill. Yeah, I've never done that. The highest I've jumped from was uh, 16,000. Mm. Yeah. Would you ever attempt to, like, jump like any higher than that, you, you, you know, like if you went up maybe about, what would be the highest that you would jump from since you did sixteen? Since you said sixteen thousand. Um. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, if I had all of the, if I had all of the gear, like I think there was a guy who jumped uh, out of a balloon from some ridiculous height and he like deployed like three parachutes or something while they were burning up. I'm not quite sure of the whole story of it, but I mean if I if it was all I'd love to do it. Yeah. If it was all safe and that sort of thing. But because the free fall is a you know, that's the the rush. You know, when you skydive, I mean you're getting a free fall of like, you know, forty five seconds and it's amazing. And you know, it's like the, it's like the surfer chasing a wave. See, I would I would do that, but I'd have to know that my parachute would work. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got two. Oh, uh, there are two. I thought it was just one. No, no, there's two. With uh, with with base jumping, there's one, and then uh, with skydiving, there's two. And you know, I I did 248 skydives, and the whole 248 times, I packed my chute the same way, same same way the whole time. Looked after my gear. You know, and it's about having confidence in in your gear and and your abilities. Okay. You know, and and uh, you know there there were people around me that didn't have the same um, confidence in their gear and were a bit hapless, and they're no longer with us either. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it <laughs> kind of weird. Sense. I mean, it makes I've sense. A, it's kind of weird. I've had all these people die around me. God <laughs> must be saving me for something. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, though. I mean, it, it just seems like if you get scared, I mean, you're going to have that rush of probably the nervousness and being scared of it and everything like that when you go ahead and do it. But yeah. you you can't really... The, what's the word I want to use? 
it's not really a word, but it's more of a phrase. You can't not back out. Excuse the double negative, but you can't not back out once you get ready to go up there and do it and right then when you actually do do it. Because yeah. then you have to release the latch when the parachute opens up. And there are instances where I've known people that have done that and the latch never worked. Right. Like, as you said, they're not with us anymore. But, you know, it's just like, it's like you got to know what you're doing, when you're doing it, why you're doing it once you do that sort of a stunt, basically, all the time. Yeah, you know, and, I, you know, it's all about coming down to the moment as well. There's a, I used to do a for tandems. You know, the big burly guys who come to the drop zone, yeah, this is no problem, no problem. And once that door opened in the aircraft at 14,000 feet, their face went white, you know, and they're screaming and holding the doorway. They didn't want to jump because it is the moment of truth. It's like doing a stunt when they say action. There's a moment yeah. of truth that comes, you know, and you step up to the plate. Can you do this or not? You know, and I think that's what I what I chased in the years was that that moment of truth where you know really was a challenge. Like how much, how far could I take myself? You know, before I just you know deconstructed. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that's what it sounds like for. I mean, for a lot of people, not just yourself, but many others and too. Like, how far can I take myself with what I can do before I can't do it anymore? Yeah. You know, but having said that, there's a lot of other things to uh, to doing stunt work than people realize. It's, you know, I've seen people on, on Beastmaster, like they'd come and they'd want to try and prove themselves to the stunt coordinator and they'd do really ridiculous things and they, they'd break collarbones and, you know, knees and stuff. And it's not about getting in there and being fearless. You know, that's not what it's about. It, it's about, you know, planning and making things safe and then making the shot work, like Fast Five. You know, there's a lot of different physical acting that we had to go through on the back of the truck, you know, to uh, to, to make the shot work. And that's what I love about it because, uh, you know, I learned so much on Beastmaster about physical action and, you know, and it's really uh, taught me a lot for, for the acting side of things too. You know, How? so kind of... How much of the stunts on Beastmaster did you do? Because I've been hearing that most of majority of the stunts Daniel Goddard did do, um, and you did just like some of the stuff that that felt like they needed to make sure they had the stuntman in. How much? How much was all of his work? How much was your work? Well, um, well, I guess every actor would love to, you know, say that they did all their stunts. Uh, to Daniel's credit, he um, he was a good physical uh, fighter, and he came up with a lot of unique ideas. Uh, you know, there's probably a lot of the master shots you see from a distance with me. Uh, you know, we'd make up for fight scene, and he'd change things around, and you know, to suit himself. Uh, but the stuff where you're jumping off things and through doorways and fire, all that sort of stuff, would most likely be the stunt guy. Is that acceptable? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, that's acceptable. <laughs> I want to leave it up to the illusion. I mean, I, I I was like watching clips of it the one day, and I saw that he did like a fight scene, and it was, and it, I was like trying to decipher, okay, is this a stunt dude or is this him? And it looked like him, but I wasn't sure, so I was just like, I'm I'm completely lost. <laughs> yeah, no, Daniel was uh, Daniel was very good at what he did, and uh, the majority of the fight scene is is him. So, you know, full, full credit to him. There it is. You pretty much now just, like, answered my million-dollar question about that because I seriously had no clue whatsoever. I mean, it just looked 
it looked like him, but I, I can't decipher something unless they're wearing bad wigs. So <laughs> yeah, well, I mean that's the I mean that's the art of film, I guess. It's you know to not know who it is, so that you can keep that illusion going. You know, but I think it's important to have a, a stunt guy on on uh, on the side, you know, so right. you can um, so you don't get injured. But uh, having said that, I, I remember the third one day, and I had to go to the hospital and get a tetanus shot. So, I mean, it's always the it's always the little things that you know get you. Like I've got the two ferrets, Kodo and Poto, in the side in a pouch. Kodo's, Kodo and Poto, one of them sticks his head out and bites me on the love handle, right on the. Wow. Yeah. Ouch. My initial reaction was to quickly grab him, pick him up, and I threw him like 20 feet through the air. I was just a, I mean, he, he, he was like a sugar glider. And he just hit the ground and plopped on the ground. The hand was like, what have you done with my foot? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's funny. It's always the little things, all these big stunts. There are a lot of planning. It's always the little things, you know, that get you. So uh, I busted my ankle on one of the first stunts I ever did on a mini tramp. So, you know, just bouncing on a mini-tramp in a rehearsal. And that's all it took. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's just like, that's all it takes is just that one inch, and then you do, like, the bigger things, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm not bruised. I'm not hurt. I don't need yeah. to have my elbow popped back into my socket or my arm popped into my socket again. It's just, yeah. oh, yeah, I, tri- I trip over a tree branch, and, oh, I broke an angle. Yep. That's all, that's all it took. This is small stuff. Just the small stuff, but Fast Five is not a small stuff. So I hear it's being it's going to be in theaters next Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, next Friday, 29th. 29th. So should be, uh, look out! Should be fun. Look out for the baldy headed guy. The baldy headed guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. There's two of them. There's two of them this time. Okay. But uh, yeah, that was a good that was a good job for me. They. Um, you know, they called me and said, can you put on, you know, 12 pounds in three weeks? And I said, yep, let's go. So I was eating everything under the sun. Hey, there you go. Man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> Man after my own heart. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing this. I'm looking forward to seeing you more on screen as an actor more so than a stuntman. So all the, yeah. best, all the best of luck to you. And, again, if there's anything more, that is popping up that we can definitely promote here on the show. I'd love to have you back. Sounds good to me. Absolutely. You take care. Have a good holiday weekend. I'm sure I will be talking to you again. Have a good, good Friday. A very, very good Friday. Definitely. Uh, Okay. Take care. Bye. That was Jeff Pruitt, everybody. You can catch him in the film Fast Five, which premieres this Friday in your local movie theaters. That's going to wrap it up for me right now. I'm signing off. My name is Novell J. Lee, and you've been catching Buzzworthy Radio. If you want to check any of the shows that you have missed, you can always download them here on this site at blogtalkradio.com slash buzzworthyradio or at buzzworthyradio.net. And we're also on iTunes. Just search Buzzworthy Radio, and you'll find us. Follow us on Twitter at Buzzworthy Radio and like us on our Facebook fan page. I post to both of them very regularly, so definitely follow follow me, and uh, it'll be a good time. It'll be fun. I will be back next week. I believe I'll be doing the shows next Wednesday, 
Tomorrow I'll be chatting with Sean Christian from Days of Our Lives, as well as Sean Kanan, who plays Deacon Sharp from The Young and the Restless. Look for those interviews to air next week. I'll get the dates to you as soon as possible. All right, so make sure you guys come back at Buzzworthy, and always get the latest buzz with Buzzworthy Radio. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Can't get enough of Buzzworthy Radio. Log on now to www.buzzworthyradio.net to get the latest news on upcoming guests, past shows, and videos of all your favorite stars. Keep getting the latest buzz with Buzzworthy.